John chapter 18, I'm going to begin in verse 38, kind of that's where we left off. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a purple robe. And they said, Hail, king of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. And Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth unto you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came the Jews forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Uh, Then came Jesus forward, and Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. The third time. And the Jews answered, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. So, We are in the sixth and last trial of Jesus before he's handed over to be crucified. Uh, Last week, at the end of the first civil trial with Pilate, Pilate came out and said to them, I find no fault in him. Remember in Luke, and it says they all started screaming these charges that he was disrupting the people, wanting to cause revolution from Galilee down to Jerusalem. It says when Pilate heard, he said, is he of Galilee? When he heard that, he was glad because Herod Antipas was in Jerusalem at the festival. So he knew that was his jurisdiction. He sends Jesus over to Herod Antipas, who goes through a process with him, mocks him, but sends him back to Pilate, basically saying, I found no cause of death in him either. So Pilate now has Jesus back on his hands. And Pilate is vacillating this whole time. He doesn't want to execute Jesus. He's got the Jews who he dislikes greatly putting this tremendous pressure on him. And he's got Jesus, who he's talked to several times, who's already been beaten in the house of Caiaphas and spit on and so forth. And now he has him back. So... Pilate thinks of this plan. He thinks, what I'm going to do is they have this custom. We're not told anywhere in the Bible about this custom. But it's a custom where they were set someone free on Passover out of prison. Most scholars feel it, it symbolized the Passover because they were set free out of Egypt on the Passover. And that they would set someone free. And Pilate thinks, now, Mark tells us in chapter 15, verse 6, that the people chose the one that should be set free. Not Pilate. They would cry for someone. 
then they would set that individual free. Pilate here picks the person, and he thinks within himself, let me pick the greatest scoundrel, you know, kind of the dirtiest guy we have on death row, and give them a choice between him and Jesus. And certainly, they're going to pick Jesus, because of this This guy is no good. So, it, it says here, do you want me to set you know, free here, he says, the king of the Jews, which wasn't a good way to start, uh, if you want their favor in the argument. And you want the king of the Jews, and he's goading them here. This is the guy who you said wanted to be king. You know, we've already dealt with him. Herod's dealt with him. I've dealt with him. How about if we set him free? And somehow they already knew the other choice was Barabbas, and they all scream, no, no, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Now, it's interesting because Simon Bar-Jonah is Simon's son, Bar-Jonah of Jonah. Bar-Abbas is son of the father. The Syriac translation says his name was Jesus Barabbas. And uh, Farrar, one of the scholars from Cambridge of the last decade, and... Um, Edersheim say there is legitimate um, record that his name was actually Jesus Barabbas, Jesus, son of the Father. So you have these two men, the most extreme differences. One, Jesus of the real father, and the other one, Jesus of some other father. Robin Hood, I don't know. And he gives them their choice, no doubt, hoping that they're going to take Jesus to be set free and choose Barabbas but in, uh, to go to the execution. But instead, they choose Barabbas here uh, remarkably. Uh, Peter challenges the Jews in Acts 3. He says to them, You denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and you killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Peter throws it in their face. He says, look, you chose, you know, a murderer. John tells us here he's a robber. Luke tells us that he committed sedition and murder. It's insurrection. The idea is against the Roman government. And in the process of that insurrection, he had committed murder. Matthew tells us he was, na- he was notorious. You know, this is a guy who's got a reputation amongst the people. Um, and he stands in front of them. Now, we don't know what it was like for him. You know, that day, certainly he's death row. He's going to be crucified. He knows that sedition against the government, murder. And he hears the guards coming, the door's unlocked. They come in and set him free from his change, two guards, and they walk him out. And he's probably thinking, okay, to, you know, I would do it again, or is he being is he even attitude? I'm going to get scourged and crucified today. You know, we just we don't know what he's thinking, or is he terrified? No, no, it's finally happening. You know, but they they bring him out into the the judgment seat, which Pilate has put outside the Praetorian, where all the Jews are, and Jesus is standing there, and Barabbas meets Jesus face to face for the first time. No doubt he had heard about him. 
But these two are standing before the people. Jesus, the Son of the Father, Jesus, Son of the Father. How interesting. And of course, they cry out for Barabbas. He can hardly, I'm sure, can hardly believe it. We don't know what he thinks as he looks at Christ. Christ has already been beaten once and spit on and so forth. Things will get a lot worse. And, and as he looks at Jesus, but remember that Jesus died for Barabbas as much as he died for you and I. Barabbas could live because Jesus died in his place. Barabbas could live because Jesus was a savior and his substitute. And he's kind of put on the page in front of us. Now we don't know, did he accept Christ? We don't know what happened after this. Was he at the cross? Was he with the 500 disciples at one point that gathered? We don't know. But, you know, he comes out, stands face to face, and, and they call, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Now, Matthew tells us that it says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ, Messiah, for he knew that it was for envy, Mark says the same thing, that they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, Pilate is not a religious man, but certainly the Romans were superstitious. They had a pantheon of gods, Dreams played a big deal in their superstition. Pilate's already uneasy. He, he doesn't want to execute the death sentence. He's going to tell them that three times. And you have to understand, <clears throat> this guy is torn between... His procurator in a jurisdiction was to enforce Roman law strictly by the book. But that procurator would also when necessary, yield to local religion to keep peace. That was also his responsibility. And as he had talked to Jesus several times already, so he's torn. He's torn between the Jews, who he hates, because he's afraid if he doesn't placate them, they're going to report him to Caesar. And there's a new Caesar. The Caesar, when he had taken office, was dead, and his friend Sejunus in Rome had been executed, along with a bunch of his friends, by the new Caesar, so he doesn't have that favor as he used to have. So he's afraid, what's going to happen if I don't placate this mob and calm them down? On the other hand, he's afraid of breaking Roman law, executing someone who's innocent. And the third place, he's afraid of Jesus himself. He doesn't know what to do with him. He's never seen anybody like this before. And now his wife, thank you, honey, sends word. In other words, she sent to him. She couldn't just go walking into the, the tribunal here. She sends word to him, have nothing to do with this just one. I've suffered many things of him this day in a dream. Does she become a believer? We don't know that. So Pilate here is struggling. So it says in 19 verse 1 that he hands Jesus over him. They took him 
and scourged him. Both violent words. They took and they scourged. And there's a bit of a... um, a debate here it doesn't determine any of our faith or our destiny or anything. Uh, some scholars feel this is a, a preliminary scourging uh, because that the real scourging is never pronounced until it says they were scourged and crucified. It was preliminary to crucifixion. And um, they say, because Matthew and Mark both say they scourged him and took him to be crucified. Very simply, the, the gospel writers all say, and they crucified him there. Just a sentence. They don't, you know, because to them, they loved him. To them, they didn't play out at all on the scene. And John is the only one, after all the rest of them are gone, Jerusalem's gone, the temple's gone. John writing to the church in 90 AD, somewhere around there. He's the one that gives us more description of whatever, what actually happened when Jesus comes back. Luke tells us in chapter 23, verses 16 and 22, that Pilate said to the crowd, I'm going to chastise him, scourge him, and then I'll let him go. Hoping that that was going to be enough for them. So this vacillating procurator has Jesus scourged? You see, scholars say there were three different levels. It was probably the first level, then he was fully scourged. No. Luke says, no, this scourging was to impress the people. This is the scourging. And uh, that he was scourged so that then the crowd might settle down so he wouldn't have to send him to the cross to be executed. So it says here, they took him. Now this is... They take him, he's been sent back by Herod. Pilate has, his, has him again. They take him to the scourging place. Look, they are outside the praetorium about this at this time because it tells us, when in verse 2 it says, Matthew and Mark both tell us they took him inside the fortress. So Jesus is outside where Pilate is sitting in the judgment seat and all of the Jews are gathered together. And they take Jesus... They strip him. They tie his hands to a wooden pole about three foot high with, with iron loops on the top with rope. And he's tied there so he can't move, can't get away. And then they come to scourge him. When the scourging was done, uh, a, a Roman stood on each side. They were called lictors, actually trained to do the scourging. And the scourging was done on a wooden handle with leather thongs that had pieces of bone and lead. And they would whip and then pull, and it would pull out flesh. It, would, it was brutal. Um, Josephus, the current historian, Eusebius, church historian, tells us that often they would die of the scourging. That sometimes before the scourging was over, the ribs were visible. Eusebius tells us there were times when the lower bowels and the back, the bowels were all actually visible. So much was ripped away of the flesh. No doubt this scourging is why Jesus collapsed under the cross and why he died in six hours, which is highly unusual. Highly unusual. I think the shortest death on record is 32 hours. The longest one is 13 days on the cross. So 
This is a brutal situation where Jesus is taken. And as they start to scourge him, there was an officer, no doubt in this situation, Pilate, who's watching the situation. Now, Roman women was illegal to scourge them. Roman senators was illegal to scourge them. Roman citizens could not be scourged unless there was already a death sentence pronounced. That's why Paul, in Acts 22, when he's taken into the Antonia Fortress by the centurion, he says, scourge him. So he gives us information so we can find out what this is about. And Paul said, all right, but is it legal for you to scourge a Roman citizen before he's been sentenced? And the centurions freaked out because he crossed a line that he shouldn't have crossed. But here, Pilate's in charge. They're going to scourge Jesus. He's hoping that then they'll be placated and he won't have to execute him. The scourging begins, and we're told that each lash was laid on with full strength. And if the lictors began to wear out or be tired, that they would cry, the pilot or the officer would cry out, Ade Vergas, add strength, or ferme, hit harder. They weren't allowed to weary, and they laid it on and laid it on and laid it on. And Paul tells us one of the exceptions is they were going to scourge him to get information out of him. Historians tell us that there were times when they were scourging the individual if he began to confess the crime and tell them who his accomplices were, that they were allowed to lighten up on the lash because they wanted to get the information out of him. But as a lamb before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The extreme picture of it here. And he didn't want to hand over any of the accomplices because if he was going to give up a name, it would have been mine. And he kept his mouth shut. And this scourging took place. I'm sure the lictors, the Jews, are all watching. This is brutal beyond our imagination. And there was no limit for the Roman scourge. The Jews would do 40 minus 1. 39 stripes were the least, the most they were allowed to put on. The Romans would scourge as long as they wanted to. Many times people died under the lash. So this is in full view of the Jews. They're watching what's going on. And then it says, Matthew and Mark both tell us at that point they bring him into the praetorium, away from the crowd. That's where we pick up in verse 2, where John tells us, And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail. They're mocking, king of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Matthew and Mark both tell us that they put a scepter in his hand made of a reed. The particular word speaks of the reeds that grow down by the Jordan River, 15 to 20 foot high. It would be like a piece of bamboo. It wasn't a reed that bent around. They put that stick in his hand. They put the crown of thorns upon his head. 
It says, gives us a picture as they're going by, they're mocking him, slapping him across the face with their hands, which is the greatest insult. And then Matthew tells us, Mark, they took the, the scepter and they smashed him on the head, driving that crown of thorns down further and further. And they also tell us they all spit on him. We saw a hundred soldiers, we don't know. This is, again, incredible what's taking place. John is the one who kind of gives us more information. Now, those of you who have been to Israel with us, or those of you who might be going this fall, if the world doesn't blow up by the end of October, we go into the, the fortress where the Antonio Fortress was, and they have excavated the floor there in this Praetorian into this hall, and they have there the Lithostratos. The Lithostratos is when they, and they'll take you down. These are huge stones of floors made of that the Romans laid 2,000 years ago. And on one of those stones, they found a game in the Latin. It's called Kill the King. And what they would do is they would put a crown of thorns on them. They would put a robe on them. They would beat them and spit on them. And they were rolling dice through the process. And whoever won the game then had the prerogative to kill the king. They couldn't kill Jesus because Pilate was in charge, did not want him executed. He's a political prisoner at this point. But the game is described there. And it's just hard to imagine what's taking place here, you know. As this goes on, it says, And Pilate, therefore, went forth again. Now he goes out from the Praetorium back out to where the Jews are. He said unto them, you know, they can't come in because it's a, it's a holiday. They don't want to be defiled. What insanity. Pilate, therefore, went out and said to them, Behold, consider this, I'm bringing him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. I'm going to bring him out and put him in front of you again. Naked, robe, crown of thorns, soaked with spit, beaten beyond human recognition, Isaiah tells us, his visage more marred than that of any man, bloody. I'm going to bring him out so you can see him in a way that no one has ever seen him before, but maybe the prophets in their prophecies. I want you to see that it's absurd for you to tell me that he's a threat to Rome. This is your king, beaten and bloody, spit upon, unrecognizable as a human being. And he's hoping, Luke tells us, that he's gonna that there's gonna be then they're going to be satisfied in their hearts and go away because Pilate doesn't want to crucify him, doesn't want to execute him. So Pilate says to them, he goes out and he says, I'm going to bring him out so you can see him. I want you to understand, I find no fault in him. In other words, he was scourged, he gave nothing up. We've dealt with him, we brutalized him. There's nothing here. He's not a threat to Rome. Look at him with mock, with a mock crown and this mock royal robe, bloody, naked. This is a, a threat to Rome. 
He says, I'm going to bring him out, and you're going to understand, I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, no doubt some of the guards bring him, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, as he stands, Jesus in front of them, Behold the man, the Latin was ecce homo. Behold the man. All kinds of questions around that. Did he say, behold the man, mockingly? This is the man? This is the guy you say is going to give Rome problems? This is your Messiah? Did he say it like that? Or did he say it in the context, I have never seen a man brutalized like this with the dignity and the peace and the power and the look in his eyes that I see never cried out to give anybody up behold the man was he saying that for you and I of course ecce homo behold the man Behold his face, beaten beyond human recognition, his back shredded and torn, covered with spit, his crown, a crown of thorns, bloody, bruises. I behold him, and in him the broken heart of God for humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No man at any time see God, but Jesus Christ has come and displayed him. This is the heart of God. Behold the man. And I'm, you know, in some ways still a child growing in faith. He, he did that for me. If, if I was there, I kind of see it in my heart as the word describes it to me. But if I was there seeing with my eyes and thinking, he's, he's given himself to this. He's drinking the Father's cup for me for me and I think what dignity what, how incredible this is he could have just blew the earth and the universe apart and started over again and instead he humbles himself and I think Lord I'm so unlike you I make so many mistakes When somebody gives me a tongue lashing, I want to strike back. When I find out somebody's doing something behind my back that hurts me, usually I don't keep my mouth shut. I get, I get, get my posse together. 
who all can say how great I am. But we're being conformed into his image and likeness. And I look at the brutalization he took for us. And I think, Lord, I am so reticent to take, as it were, even a tongue beating from someone that you love and you die for. And there's probably people in this church that you hold a grudge against because at one point they said something about you. Think of what was said about him. Think of what was done to him. And, and I know that, that I'm being conformed into his image and likeness. I look at this and I realize how far I, away, I am away from all of this, obviously. It tells us this in the book of Hebrews. Um, it says there... It says, Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. You have been striven against sin to that point. Consider him who endured such things at the hands of sinners for us so that you're not wearied in your spiritual endeavors and in your struggle. Now the verse before says it was for the glory that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame of course but we're to consider that one who received such things at the hands of sinners so that we're not discouraged when it happens to us He says, you haven't yet striven against this to the point of blood. First Peter, again, we're told, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead unto sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep gone astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. Consider him. You know, when I do that, you know, I'm hearing this, behold the man I look at that no, no different, much differently than, than the Jews or Pilate. Or I wonder if Pilate's wife was there. Saul of Tarsus was probably there. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were there. Behold the man. And I'm sure to Pilate it was, I have never in all of my career seen a man like this ever Ece Homo presents him to the crowd hoping the Jews are going to just say okay enough we're satisfied he's bloody he's beaten he might not live we're done we're done and when the chief priests therefore 
and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. It's an imperative. Do it now, do it now. And Pilate, he's frustrated, no doubt, saith unto them, take ye him and crucify him. Do it yourself. He knew the Jews weren't allowed to kill somebody, let alone crucifixion. They would kill somebody by stoning. Because they already said to him, it's not lawful for us to kill someone. He says, you take him. You want to crucify him? Take him off my hands. You do it yourselves. Take him and crucify him because I find no fault in him the third time now. He, this is the judge. A Roman judge, a procurator, has passed sentence. <coughs> you... You look at our court system today. When does an accuser in a courtroom get asked his approval of the judge's decision? When does the accuser in the courtroom have to approve of the judge's decision? When does the accuser in a courtroom today force the judge to change his verdict? Even today, you might pay somebody off and it happens, but, you know, this is Roman law. This is unthinkable. Third time, he said, my verdict is, I don't find anything wrong with them. And they're screaming, crucify me. He said, do it yourself. Do it yourself. Like this man can pass the buck. He can pass the responsibility. Let me tell you something. When Jesus comes in your life, he stands face to face with you. You begin to see his suffering. You see, you see what he's done for you. You can't pass that off. You can't say you take care. You can't give that off to somebody else. Pilate will live with this, no doubt, for the rest of his life. The new Caesar that comes in will banish him to Gaul, and he'll commit suicide there. And no doubt he saw, he beheld this man every day for the rest of his life. Behold the man. You take him, you crucify him. And then the Jews answered. Now the truth comes out. The Jews answered him, we have a, we have a law. And by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now here's the deal. You know, all along they're trying to bring civil charges and they're so exasperated, they're so angry now, they finally blab out the truth. They say, well, you can't put him to death by Roman law, you can find anything wrong? Well, we have our own law and by our law he should die, Leviticus, blasphemy, death sentence, by our law he should die because he made himself the son of God. Now it finally comes out. Jesus is going to die as the only begotten Son of God. The charge has to be corrected, has to be put in place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. The charge comes now at where it should have been all along. But the interesting thing is their accusation is false. He made himself the Son of God. He didn't do that. He was the Son of God. He didn't walk around pretending to be the Son of God. He didn't make himself the Son of God in that respect. He was the same of God. He was the Son of God when he got here in Bethlehem. He was the Son of God before he came. He didn't make himself the Son of God in the countryside 
of Galilee and Judea, he was the Son of God fully. Fully. That's just, you know, the remarkable thing. Here's Jehovah in human flesh, beaten and brutalized. And sometimes you and I think, Lord, do you really love me? Lord, this is happening in my life. Lord, you know, I messed up again this week. Lord, do you really love me? Behold the man. Ask him. Behold the man. Ask him if he really loves you. Behold the man. And Pilate now hears the truth. Yeah, maybe he's not guilty according to Roman law, but he's guilty according to the law we have. He's committed blasphemy because he's made himself the son of God. Pilate hates the situation he's in. Imagine somebody in the civil government vacillating. That's what he's doing. And the next verse says, and when he heard that, he was even more afraid. Again, so he's afraid of the Jews. He's afraid of Caesar. He's afraid of Jesus. He's afraid of what his wife told him. You know, this guy's caught in the middle when he hears this. He made himself the son of God. It says now he's even more afraid because as a Roman, he heard all the stories about the pantheon. He had many, many times heard about gods that came and took on human flesh, demigods. I mean, Paul and, uh, and Silas, when the, when the crippled man is healed in Lystra, they say this is Zeus and, Hermes. Zeus and Hermes come here in human flesh. They want to ascribe to them right away. These are gods that took on human bodies and came here. The Romans believe this all the time. Now Pilate is thinking, is this a son of God? Is, is this, I, I, I've had him beaten, I've had him spit on, I've had him brutalized. Is, it, is that what this is? And it says, and now Pilate even fears more, which tells us he had been fearing, which tells us when he beheld the man, He beheld something that he had never beheld before. Again, I think to look at Jesus in this circumstance, you and I look at him and our heart is broken because we love him and we see what he, he's done for us. Pilate looks at him in a historical Roman setting that was completely brutal, that threw people to the animals in the arena and had gladiators. They, they saw blood all the time. He sees a look on the face of Jesus, a look in his eye, you know, disfigured beyond a human being, naked, bloody, you know, the crown of thorns, the mockery, the spit. And yet there's something when he beholds the man that he can't swallow, he can't get past. And when he hears this guy's claiming to be the son of God. It says, then he's even more afraid. Now we, got, we can't do the whole trial this week. We're going to pick up again. But Jesus then has a conversation with Pilate again. He said, you can have no power over me unless it were given to you by my Father in heaven. I couldn't be standing here brutalized, beaten, 
scourged, spit on, bloody, disfigured, and naked, unless it was according to my Father in heaven. This is the cup that he's given me to drink. Incredible. Incredible. My advice to you, uh, look, as we go through this, for me personally, it was the ecce homo. I just behold the man. I beheld how little this man is like that man. I've thought about how poorly I handle things that come to me that I feel are unjust. I think of Christians that have hurt my feelings or betrayed me and how I'm so easily wounded and bruised. I think of how unlike him I am in so many ways. But yet I'm going to be conformed into his image. And I'm going to see him. It tells us when we first see him, he will be the lamb with the marks of slaughter. The lamb with the marks of slaughter upon him. That's our first vision when we get caught up. So no one will have to ask there, do you love me? Do you love me? I consider him in the sense of our example. What do we do when we get mistreated by others? He's our example. Turn the other cheek, he said. Go the extra mile, he said. What do we do when we mess up? We do something wrong. And then the enemy wants to lie to us and tell us that we're, you know, we're getting thrown away like some type of you know, trash. No, no, no. Look at him. Do you love me, Lord? Behold the man standing in your place, your substitute, taking the bullet for you. There's no question of his love. There's no question of his love. And if you're here and you've never come to Jesus, look. You're going you're gonna to deal with this one way or another. Uh, uh, behold the man I encourage you see him today in his love God in human flesh with a broken heart broken over my sin broken over your sin yielding himself if you refuse to do that you will behold the man in another scene in another day on a great white throne If you want to pray after the service today, we'd love to pray with you. We'll be up here. We'll give you a Bible, some literature to read. All of that brutalization for you. All of that agony and pain for you. Don't turn away from it. Don't turn away. Don't say, give us another son of the Father. Make this son of the Father your king. Let's stand. Let's pray. And Lord, we, we thank you for these things. And Lord, we, we're growing in grace and in the knowledge of who you are, Lord. And the depth of these things are beyond, Lord, our complete comprehension.
when all of sin and its ugliness stands together with all of the holiness and its beauty. We're overwhelmed, Lord, with those things. And that you did it for us, Lord. Lord, let it be good medicine for us in the sense, Lord, if we're being condemned by the devil, the enemy. Let it be good medicine for us, Lord, if we realize we need to reflect you much more than we do, Lord. If there's hurt feelings or someone's misspoken against us. And Lord, let us remember that when we do that, you are pleased. That it gives you pleasure. We think of all of the pain you took for us, Lord. Let our patience and long-suffering and meekness and temperance, let our love give you pleasure, Lord. We look to you and we pray in your name. Amen.